welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. There's no heroes in Test Cricket, son. Retire hurt. August guy in he kept saying, do you need any shampoo? Do you need any conditioner? My car stunk for about a week and I couldn't get rid of the smell. But it turned out that the decanter of port had been donated to the owner of the hotel by Nelson Mandela upon his release from Robin Island and someone had nicked it. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. At Norwood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sports men, women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former professional is a former professional rug footballer. Sorry. You're about to say rugby player, though, aren't you? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Although if someone tells me if he, if he when he does when he occasionally played rugby, it didn't end it didn't always end well. No. <laughs> he played for teams such as Birmingham, Watford, Watford, Sheffield United, Sheffield, Sheffield and Sheffield United. Welcome to the podcast, Paul Devlin. Hey, yeah, you okay? I'm good, thank you. Before we start, we before we start, we just wanted to say that throughout this podcast, if you have any questions for us about anything about our podcast, or you have a question about autism, then please ask. We'd like to answer your questions too. Okay. Okay. We'd like to start our podcasts with some random questions before we start talking about your career. Yep. Far, yep. Far away. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh. Famous person in my phone book. Um, I've got a few footballers in there: Robbie Savage, Steve Bruce, people like that. Um, they're they're probably the ones that are most famous in my phone book. But my claim to fame about most famous person is when I was at Watford, um, the club were in um, financial difficulties, and Elton John paid for my contract to go to Watford. So he paid for me for three years to go and play for Watford. He's a massive Watford fan. So that's uh, that's my claim to fame with uh, with famous people. <laughs> if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Well, anyone for a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love my golf. I love my boxing. Obviously, boxing, you get punched in the face. So, um... Maybe not a boxer. Yeah, I mean, I, I have done a white-collar boxing fight. I have done a boxing match, and I'm, I'm going to do another one this year, and I love my boxing, but I love my golf too. But I think it would be um, someone who's a real good guitar player. I don't know, someone at uh, Metallica or someone like that, or Eric Clapton or someone like that. So, yeah, real real top musician, I think. Rock star. Okay. Who is the most 
<laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would you have and why? Um, to fly. I don't know. I used to dream about flying when I was a when I was a kid, and that. So I think obviously that's that's the one that springs to mind straight away. And uh, the way the roads are getting with traffic, it'd be quite handy now around Birmingham to be able to just jump up and fly places. Definitely. <laughs> you carry on. Okay. Time for our first little question about your career. You up for that? Yep. Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. We want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. You got back it. You got back back into yeah. football quite late. Is it true you wanted to be a chef when you were younger? Why did you choose football over the kitchen? Yeah, I mean, when I was at school, um, uh, the times I was at senior school, there was a lot of uh, strike action going on by the teachers. So for probably four out of five years, I was at senior school. We didn't have, actually have a school football team. So I didn't didn't play that much. Uh, when I did play, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't at their age, sort of 15, 16. I wasn't outstanding. I was, you know, there was far better players in the school team. So I just always, you know, always wanted to get a trade. And I, I really enjoyed cooking and catering and stuff like that. So I got um, what was called a YTS back then, a sort of apprenticeship to be a chef and, and go to college part time um, and get my City and Guilds 7061 and 2, my catering qualifications. And that was that was the avenue I wanted to go down, and then purely by accident, I think it was about seventeen. There was a local team start up in the area who several of my friends played for, so they said, "Come along." I mean, I wasn't even playing; I was sort of sub. So I'd go along and and be sub. And and one day we played in a cup final over in Tamworth, which is just down the road from Birmingham. I came on, did really well for sort of twenty minutes. The um. The youth team manager from Tamworth was there, a fellow called Paul Wood, who I still speak to now and again now, and he, he works for Aston Villa. They asked me to go and play for Tamworth youth team. Uh, and that's really where it all began. I, I signed for Tamworth youth team uh, at 17, um, made my debut for the first team. And within two years, then I'd sort of climbed the non-league ladder, going from better levels and playing Sundays to to the Vauxhall Conference, as it was then, the, the National League, as it is now, to Stafford Rangers, and then signing for Notts County in the old First Division, which is now the Premiership, uh, and making my debut at 19. So from, from not really playing at 17 to making my debut in the top flight at 19. So it was quite quite a steep steep rise, really. And obviously, you know, I loved I loved cooking and I loved, uh, loved catering, but I loved football more. So when I... When I did finally realise I had the chance to make a career at it, as I think, you know, 99.9% of young lads would, you know, I, I jumped at the chance of going into football. I was about to jokingly ask if you set a kitchen on fire or something. No, I've set loads of tea towels, oven gloves, everything. I've set loads on fire. And uh, my wife would probably moan at me now that I don't I don't do I don't do enough cooking at the moment. But hey, yeah, you're right. This is right. But, yeah, I'm all right. I've set I've set several things on fire. Well, uh, okay, thank you. Um, so yeah, so this is Riley. Hello. Hey, Riley. Riley, this is Paul. Hi, Paul. Hey, just, mate. Just started um, now, so here are our questions. Can cover the red ones? Sure. Um, yeah, so you're going to do the red questions, okay? So at the moment, Alyssa, do you want to question two? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you need any help. No, of course, I'll, of course. Okay. Is it true you had a trial with Liverpool in 1991 and... 
Stafford Rangers turned down the offer? Yeah, um, we we played Liverpool in a pre-season friendly when Graham Soonis was a manager of Liverpool. Uh, and I was playing for Stafford at the time and I did quite well in the game and they asked me to go on trial. So I was I was at Liverpool for probably well, probably about five or six weeks on and off, played a couple of, of reserve team games, uh, played one at West Brom with me and Ian Rush up front. Ian Rush was a very famous player for Liverpool who was coming back from injury and we won 1-0 and I scored the goal. So I did really well. And I think Liverpool put in a, a very small offer of I think it was 10 or 20, 20,000 pounds at the time. And uh, Stafford Ranger turned it down. So, uh, you know, it was great to go to a club like Liverpool and train with all those brilliant players and, uh, uh, you know, and get to see what that club's about. But, yeah, it was just unfortunate. Stafford had sold um, a player called Stan Collymore the season before um, to Crystal Palace for £100,000, which was the record for a non-league teenager then. So I think they looked at that and then they knew Liverpool were interested in me. They were asking for, for you know, for quite a bit of money. Uh, as they did get with Stan, and unfortunately Liverpool weren't, weren't prepared to to pay that. But yeah, I was there for about six weeks. You made your professional debut for North Country in 1992 in the first Old Division. What are your memories of joining the North Country and making your debut? Yeah, I remember it was Neil Warnock signed me for North County. It was it was brilliant. You know, I'd had a, I'd had a few trials at different clubs. But really liked liked the city of Nottingham. Really liked Neil Warnock, who you know I was fortunate to play for again further in my career. Uh, real good team, great sets of lads. You know I've still got friends that I made at Notts County today, and I just remember making my debut. I think it was the third last game of the season, and that time of year the weather's always red hot. So I just remember like it was absolutely boiling. I remember being re really really tired because I was playing against a player called Kenny Sampson for Coventry and at that time Kenny Sampson was England's most capped fullback I think he had 86 caps for England so he was a real real top player and I just remember thinking oh, I was that tired I can't breathe it was that warm and I was running that much but no it was great and then I'm you know I played a part again in in the Luton game when we actually won two out of our three last games that season but unfortunately we were you know we were still relegated out the top flight but Fantastic memory as a as a nineteen year old uh, lad to, you know, from playing Sundays a, a couple of seasons before to make my debut in the top flight. You then joined your hometown team, Birmingham Birmingham City in in nineteen ninety six. How did that move come about, and what was it like to join the team you support? Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, one of my best friends in football, to you know, even to this day, is, is a, a lad called Michael Johnson, who had a fantastic football career himself. But John O had gone to Birmingham City um, a couple of months previous. Uh, so he rang me, he told me that Barry Fry, the manager at the time, was interested in signing me. And another one of our mates, Andy Legg, was at Nuts County at the time. So myself, Andy Legg and Michael Johnson, we all shared a house in Nottingham. So myself and Andy Legg were still at Nuts County. Michael had gone to um, Birmingham. So he rang me and says, listen, Barry Fry is really interested in signing you. Would you be interested? Obviously, Birmingham City was the club that, although my family, my dad's side of the family are all from Scotland, they're all big Celtic fans. Me being based in Birmingham, my uncle used to take me down Birmingham City. So I used to support them down here. So to get the chance to go to Birmingham, you know, the club that I'd, I'd been down and watched as a kid was was fantastic. And, you know, First game apart, I had a really good start to my Birmingham career and 
very, very fortunate to have two two spells at the club. And it was it was brilliant to get the chance to play for a team that, you know, that I'd, I'd supported as a kid. Bobby Ford was a manager of Birmingham at the time. You did play under him for for long, but what was it like when the what was it like as a manager? Barry was brilliant. I think if you speak to anyone that plays for Barry Ford, they'll all tell you he's a he's an unbelievable character. Um, loves his football. Um, unfortunately, I was only there for about half a season with Barry because Barry moved on at the end of the season. He signed me. Uh, and we had Trevor Francis come in. But Barry was brilliant, really funny bloke, real good football man. And I was lucky. I think I played 18 games under Barry and scored about eight or nine goals. So I had a really good start to uh, to my Birmingham career with Barry. Then obviously Trevor came in. But Barry Barry was brilliant. Still speak to Barry now and again. You know, he's held in very high regard by the Birmingham fans. That They absolutely love him. So it was, it was brilliant times. Speaking of Trevor Francis... <laughs> Trevor Francis then came in as manager. Trevor was a blue legend, blue? Yeah, yeah, blues legend, yeah. Okay. What was it like playing under him and how did he change things at the club? Yeah, Trevor came in and and I think if you ask any uh, Birmingham City fan of a certain age, it's like widely acknowledged that Trevor's the club's best ever player. So he's like, God damn, or he was, God rest him, he was like, God damn Birmingham City. So it was brilliant. Obviously, we're getting a club legend come in to be manager. Um, Trevor's first season there was was more, personally, was my best season as a player. I was a top goal scorer for the club. Uh, I was player of the season. So personally, it couldn't have gone any better. Unfortunately, the relationship I had with Trevor didn't quite work out. Um, I think Trevor wanted to bring in his own signings and, and he got rid of a lot of the Barry Fry signings. So even though I'd scored 19 goals, I was player of the year, I, I never felt that Trevor really, truly wanted to keep me at the club. So unfortunately, after sort of a season and a half under Trevor, um, I moved on. So yeah, I mean, Trevor was a, you know was a, a, an absolute legend at the club. Unfortunately, he couldn't quite get us over the line and get us promoted in the Premier League. Yeah, we had six seasons there. And I think four out of the six seasons, Trevor managed to get Blues to the um, to the playoffs. Just couldn't quite get that over that final hurdle. So, uh, unfortunately, I moved on. But no, it was great to get the chance to meet Trevor and obviously play with him. And, you know, like I say, he's 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 renowned as the club's best ever player. You left Birmingham in 1998 to join Sheffield United. Did it upset you the way you left the club? Yeah, I didn't. You know, I wasn't particularly happy with the way I left Birmingham. Um because obviously I left under a bit of a cloud because of the disagreement with Trevor. So I, I felt really that my side of the story was, you know, I wasn't getting across to people. Um, you know, people were saying I was being greedy because I wanted this and I wanted that. You know, I just wanted a contract that I thought was fair. At the time, I was top goal scorer, player of the year. There was there was nobody playing better than me at the club. And I don't think that Trevor really offered me a contract that reflected that. But I also think he didn't really want me to stay anyway. So... It was unfortunate and, you know, it was a big regret that I had to leave the club at the time and, and the way that I did. But I ended up going to a, another fantastic club, um, Sheffield United, and having four four brilliant years there. And, it, you know, ironically, uh, part of the management team that sold me from Nuts County to Birmingham, he was, Steve Thompson was manager of Sheffield United at the time. So he actually took me to Sheffield United. So it was great, great to get back and link up with him. Neil? Neil? Warnock. Warnock? Okay, these names too. They confuse me. I'm so sorry to these people, but your names. I'm sorry. He was manager at Sheffield United, 
What was he like as a manager and how did he get the best out of you? Yeah, um, obviously I played for Neil Warnock uh, at Notts County. Neil had given me my chance as a professional. So it was brilliant when he came. We had a couple of managers sort of prior prior to Neil coming back to Sheffield United. Uh, Adrian Heath, Russell Slade, obviously Steve Thompson. But yeah, I think Neil got the job. Uh, Neil's from Sheffield. He's a big Sheffield United fan. And I think if you look at Neil's uh, managerial record at, at that level, there's probably nobody better than him, I'd say. But no, it was great. I knew what Neil was all about. Um, I was player of the season in 2000 under Neil. So from a personal point of view, that was brilliant. And I had some great, great times at Sheffield United. You know, we got we got to the playoffs there uh, when I was there against Sunderland and um, just couldn't quite get over the line. But no, what, what Neil is, Neil's a fantastic man-manager. Now, we had the lad called Kevin Blackwell there who was coaching. So, Kevin Blackwell would do all the coaching. Uh, and then, obviously, Neil would, you know, match day, set pieces and, and the actual man management. That's where Neil excelled. But, yeah, Neil Warnock's a great man. He's still going now. and He's not in work at the moment. And I think he's in his 70s now, Neil. But it wouldn't surprise me if he got back in at some stage. But it was it was brilliant to, to get the second spell under Neil. And from a personal point of view, you know, I was scoring goals from midfield and, and to, to, you know, to get player of the year in, in 2000 under him, as, uh, you know, as well was a fantastic achievement I'm very proud of. Speaking of Neil Warnock, we're actually speaking to him, to him in a couple of weeks on the podcast. Do you have any funny stories or memories we can mention to him? I've got lots and lots of funny stories and uh, uh, and jokes about Neil Warnock, none of which I could tell you because the language would be very bad. So uh, oh, I, no. I, I, I can't I can't spill the booze, but no, I can't I can't speak highly enough of Neil, and you must you must give him my my best regards and. And tell him how much, well I, you know, yeah. Tell him how much I think of him. I, I think down the years he, he was probably tearing his hair out with me a bit at times because I could I could be a little bit hard to handle down the years, but probably the man that handled me best better than anyone was Neil. So please, please tell him how much I think of him and uh, and give him my best when you speak to him. Neil Warnock says in his book that year when Marcus Bennett had a bus stop and you <laughs> had him and you had him boy Marcus. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, uh, it was um, we were playing Lincoln City, and I think it was the FA Cup or the League Cup. And Marcus Bent, who brilliant lad, great goal scorer, had a fantastic career. And I was I was really really friendly with with Bente. He was playing centre forward. I was playing wide. So I think we were four one up or something. And I, you know, I'd set up Bente for a couple of goals. He may have even got hat trick that night. I can't remember. And I just remember. He's gone down the wing and he could have passed it to me and it would have been an, an easy goal for me to score from about. And he didn't pass his shot. So I thought that was a bit greedy. So we ended up having a bit of an argument actually on the pitch. Yeah, this is why the and game's going on. having their head wow. but that, that's That came at a later stage. So we had the argument. Then obviously there was a bit of pushing and shoving on the pitch. So Neil Warnock then substituted Marcus Bent, which obviously really annoyed Bente. So at the end of the game, we've gone into the changing room. So obviously I've gone into the changing room. Marcus is in there. We've had a few words uh, and it ended up in a, a, fight, a fight. It ended up with me headbutting Marcus and, and us having a roll round on the floor and a bit of a fight. You know, and it sounds it sounds really bad and it, and it is bad, but, you know, things like that go on in football and rugby clubs in training and, you know, every day up and down the country. You know, I'm not condoning it. 
But, you know, it happens. It was one of those things. It was a, a split second thing. Myself and Marcus were friends before. We, we, we were friends. We actually had a laugh about it after, you mm. know, and, and, and Neil Warnock handled it brilliantly. You know, at the time, Marcus was top scorer. I was player of the year. So we were his two best players in the changing room, knocking lumps out of each other. But he, yeah, he handled I'm it. sure you guys would stick to headbutting balls, not each other. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we should do, really. But but it was all forgotten about. It was, it was a flash in the pan, obviously. Neil handled it brilliant, as as Neil does with situations like that. And I know, obviously, I've been asked about it several times because he mentions it in his book. But no, it, again, typical Neil Warnock fashion. He sort of had, he had us in the office the next day and told us how how silly we'd been, to say the least. And uh, and we just got on with it. And and Marcus went on that season to score loads of goals. And I think he got a big move to Blackburn and. He ended up playing for Blackburn, Everton, Charlton. Had you know had a wonderful career. So it was just one of those unfortunate things that that happened. This one, I'm sorry for this one. Is it true you got so drunk on the plane on the way to a pre-season that you weren't allowed out of the airport and had to go back on the same plane and go home? Yeah, how did you know? Did you know about that? Yes, yeah, I, I can remember it. We did our research. <laughs> yeah, we um. It was, I'll never forget it. And it's funny because I meet up with quite a lot of the Sheffield United lads once a year. We have a golf day once a year. And, it, and we always we always have a laugh about this. It was the end of the season. So my thing, at the end of every season, I used to go to Scotland and visit my family and have a couple of weekends up there and just, just relax and chill out and have a beer and that. So most football teams never make you go away at the end of the season. It's always the start of the season. So for some reason... Uh, the gaffer Neil Warnock had organised his trip. Nobody wanted to go on the trip. Not one player wanted to go. But he said, no, everyone's got to go. It's, you know, you're going to get fined two weeks. Don't go. So anyway, we we got on the coach to go. Uh, and a lot of the foreign lads, the Portuguese, the French lads who were at the club at the time, just didn't show up. So they didn't go. So we all had, we were all in a bit of a mood about being made to go on this trip to Trinidad. And one thing led to another. And we all, probably me in particular, ended up, getting quite drunk on the plane, um, playing up a little bit on the plane. Uh, so when we landed, I got um, I got a tallying off from Neil Warner and I got put on the same plane going back the next day. So it was, I actually went to Trinidad and I wasn't there a day. So it was the longest journey I've been on a day trip in my life. So yeah, that was, that was quite an eventful 24 hours. Okay. Here's another kind of silly one. It has nothing to do with your career, okay. just so you know. What is the one question that you would never, ever answer? And and it's funny, and I can name it straight away. Whenever I do, uh, especially with, with with younger people, whenever I do uh, interviews, one of the first three questions you ask, are you rich? How much do you earn? And and like that's that's always one of the first three questions. And what I always say to, you know, anyone asking me that question, if you're going into football or anything you love with that as your main driver, you know, you, you've got it wrong. You've got to love what you're doing. Um, if you do really well, the money will come. So that that's always the one that I normally get to. How much did you earn? Or what do you drive? Or, you know, all material things rather than how much do you love the game? What did you do to get to that level sort of thing? Then he returned to Birmingham City and had a great first season back, reaching a player final. What was the lead up to the game like? And what did you do the morning of the match? Yeah, that was fantastic to get the chance to go back. Uh, Steve Bruce, who I'd played with at Birmingham, he actually had a spell as Sheffield United manager when I was there as well. He took me back to the club. Um, 
Yeah, we, we went on an unbelievable run. I think we won, or we were undefeated in the last 12 or 13 games. Got into the playoffs, beat Millwall in the semi-finals, and, uh, yeah, and we played Norwich at the Millennium Stadium. Uh, unbelievable experience, you know, 75,000 people, Millennium Stadium, roof closed, you know, the blue and white one end, yellow and green the other end. So it was just an amazing game. As you know, as usual, I, I shared with my, my friend who I mentioned earlier on, Michael Johnson, so just really nervous on the morning of the game. You know, you're up, you're having your bit of breakfast, a bit of pre-match. You're having a walk around, just trying to relax. Then obviously we got from the Vale of Glamorgan uh, Hotel, we got on the bus and we drove to the Millennium Stadium. Wembley was being rebuilt at the time. That's why we played it there. And you just remember, like, you can only go about five mile an hour down the streets because the support is everywhere. Uh, just the noise, the colour, you know, the heat because of the... Um, the, the roof being on the stadium. It was an unbelievable day, and, you know. Birmingham had had 16 years out of the top flight out of the Premier League, so it was a big chance for us and to play that game, you know, the emotions that go through that game went 1-0 down and then Jeff Horsfield getting us back into the game. Then with it going to penalties, uh, you know, I was always a penalty taker and, you know, taking a penalty in that playoff final where you've got 75,000 people in the stadium Millions around the world watching on TV. And, and, and I think money-wise, it's worth about 180 million to the club. Lots of pressure. So to take a penalty and score a penalty uh, and us to, you know, eventually win the game and get promoted was was probably one of the, if not the best moment in my career. What were the celebrations like in the day after the promotion, in the days after the promotion? Well, the first two or three days after is is pretty much of a blur because we had, uh, it was just party after party and we, were, we had a, like a civic reception back in Birmingham. We had an open top bus parade all around the city, which was great. And my, my eldest son, who's nearly tw 23, had just been born at the time. So he ended up coming on the open top bus parade with me and we, I've got a picture of him somewhere actually in the trophy. He was only about that big, so he's in the trophy and we got the trophy. So that was great. There was um, lots of celebrating. Lots of, lots of beer drunk and champagne drunk, as you can imagine. But it was great, you know, the the, um, the Blues fans. Hope you had a cold bucket of water out there. Yeah, there was, there was, it was everything. But the Blues fans hadn't seen it for 16 years. And then obviously, you know, to, to do that was was brilliant. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a brilliant two or three days after. We also heard that you missed out on a big money move into Manchester United after an incident at a snooker hall. <laughs> what? Yeah. Is yeah. it a snooker <laughs> Is it an art game or a thing, a <laughs> yeah. game involving a stick? Well, funnily enough, that, that obviously that's a bit tongue in cheek. That, but that was in those two or three days after we got promoted when we were celebrating. So we went up to a, a really posh hotel up in uh, sort of Cheshire, Macclesfield, called Mottram Hall. Uh, and Steve Bruce, who was the manager at the time, who's an ex Man United legend, was captain of the club for, you know, played there for nine years, took us there. So myself and Jeff Horsfield uh, and all the team. We'd been out to a, a bar uh, and we came back to the hotel. And Jeff's a big snooker player and they've got a snooker table at, or a couple of snooker tables at Mottram Hall. So we've gone into the bar there. We've, we've had a few beers. So there's two people playing snooker on the snooker table. So Jeff's egging me on to just run and dive on the snooker table head first. So all the balls go everywhere. Like, so, what? Yeah, I just winding me up. So like an idiot, I've gone and done it. So these two people that are playing snooker are obviously horrified, I've jumped across the table. So I'm rolling over laughing. Unbeknownst to me, around the corner oh, there is... Really? You had it once and many. 
<laughs> yes. So unbeknownst to me, my manager Steve Bruce, and then the the you know the then the then Manchester United manager and legend Alex Ferguson are sitting round the corner having a coffee. Um, what? So as, I've, as as I've rolled over laughing, Steve Bruce has got a face like thunder. It looks like he wants to kill me. And I just remember Alex Ferguson just shaking his head like that as if to say, who's this nutcase here? So, yeah, <laughs> I tell people that always ruined my move to Manchester United. Okay. You made your Premier League debut against the Leeds and, and, and scored. What was it like to play in the Premier League? Yeah, it was brilliant. It didn't happen till I was 30. Uh, so again, like like everything in my career, everything you know came pretty late on. Uh, I'd actually got um, sent off in a pre-season game the year we got promoted. So I missed the first three games of the Premiership season, which was Arsenal, Everton and Blackburn. But when my suspension finished, um, Steve Bruce put me back in for Leeds at home. Uh, and I was, I was fortunate enough to... It was a set piece that we'd worked on um, involving myself, Robbie Savage and Martin Granger. And I was fortunate enough to score the first goal, which was the first ever goal at St Andrews Blues home ground. And we we went on to win the game. I think it was 2-1. So it was brilliant, you know, to make my debut in the Premier League, to score first ever goal in the Premier League for St Andrews. And obviously to get our first, our first win in the Premier League was absolutely amazing against the Leeds team that I think that year got to the semi-final of the Champions League. So that they were a real good team, but it was it was an amazing day. In your second spell with Birmingham, you played with you played with the current Walsall manager, Matt Sadler. We spoke to Matt a few months ago on the podcast, and your name came up in the conversation. He <laughs> said that his wife used to have photos of you in on her bedroom wall. I presume <laughs> from when she was a child. Otherwise, am I having a really weird? Yeah, obviously Matt Matt was a young lad. Uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a good bit older than Matt. So Matt was a young lad at Blues uh, when I was there. So yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because something similar to that, the Craig Gardner, who's sort of general manager at Blues now, or you know that sort of role, and Gary Gardner, who's in the team, they've got pictures with me when they were actually mascots for the club. So I get that a few. So that's what happens when you get old like me. You get people telling you that when they were children, I was their favourite player. So yeah, me, you know, Matt's done well. Matt's had a great career, and you know. Hopefully he does. He does really well at Warsaw. Hmm. What was the biggest difference between the Championship and the Premier League? Uh, yeah, very good question. You know, people tend to say the speed of it, but I, I would disagree. I, I felt the Championship was a faster, more physical league because I think when players technically are less good, they rely on more physical attributes like getting stuck in, being quicker. I just found in the Premier League the quality was better. So. The defenders were better. You wouldn't get as many chances. The forwards were more clinical. So if you gave someone a chance, nine times out of ten, they'd score a goal against you. And if you gave the ball away, you know, it might be, especially against the better teams, Man U, Arsenal, Liverpool, teams like that. If you gave the ball away cheaply, you, you couldn't get it back. So I just think physically I found it an easier league than the championship, but the quality was just, you know, just that much higher. You have played with some great characters over the years. Can you recall any pranks and who were the best jokers you played with? Oh, listen, again, loads and loads. Too many, not many that I could probably tell, but one, one of the one of the funniest guys that I played with was a goalkeeper called uh, Ian Bennett. Now, most people that play football will tell you that goalkeepers are all 
mad in the head anyway. You know, they're all you gotta be to throw yourself at people's feet when they're when they're gonna kick you in the face. But Ian Bennett was um was very funny. And we used to we used to have a, a fitness man called Nick Broad at Birmingham City. So what you had to do on a Monday, so it sounds a bit icky, but you used to have to have a wee in a test tube, your first wee when you got up of a morning. They'd test it to see if you were dehydrated, if you were lacking any vitamins, if you needed anything, blah, blah, blah. But you had to do this at home because it had to be your first one of a Monday morning. You'd then take it in a test tube to the club. You'd drop it off. You'd go and train. They'd do all their testing on it. So I remember Ian Bennett one day as a joke. Uh, he got up on the Monday morning, let his dog out in the garden. And when the dog was having a wee, he put the dog wee in it instead. So then he gave, then he gave it to Nick Broad. So uh, I just remember we were training and then all of a sudden Broad, Ben, I'll get in there. So God knows what he found in that sample. But yeah, and Ben, it was forever doing that. And, you know, put putting put deep heat in people's underpants and socks and that and all stuff like that and ripping up the ripping up the clothes while they were out training. There was loads, but yeah, Ian Bennett was a, was a character, Michael Johnson, R- Robbie Savage, you know. I was fortunate, really, played with some real good lads and, you know, the laughs we had in training and match days were, were brilliant. You know, that's probably as well as, as well as actually playing that side of it, sort of the team spirit, having a laugh with the guys in the changing room. That's, that's probably what I miss most about not being a footballer. Mm. We once had a story. Someone we have once asked someone a similar question. They told us a story about when their teammate cut triangles into everyone's jerseys. <laughs> yeah, I've I've known it done. I've known people uh, super glue shoes to the floor. So when they've got changes no. and they've sort of nailed That's them to sticky. the floor. Yeah, I've heard them cut, cutting the sleeves out of people's shirts. So all all that. You know, I dare say it still still goes on to this day. But a- any prank you can imagine on someone's probably been probably been done at some stage by a footballer up and down the country. Steve Booth was a was a very good manager. What was he like as a manager? Steve was brilliant. Um, I was very fortunate. I played with Steve when he came as a player from Manchester United to Birmingham. So I had a season and a half with Steve as a player. His first job as a player manager was Sheffield United. So I was at Sheffield United with him as a player manager and then he signed me back for Birmingham. So I had three spells with Steve and, you know, I can't speak highly enough of him. As a man, really, really good man, honest man, uh, you know, brilliant man manager. Uh, he's had a, an unbelievable career and I would definitely say in in my 15 years as a, a as a professional footballer, Steve Bruce and Neil Warnock are the two standout people that, that I played for. And, and you know, I look back now and like I say, I probably drove them, drove them both mad at times, but they were, you know, they were brilliant. And I, and I, and I can't thank them both enough for, for how they helped me. What's the point of being around others if they don't drive you up the wall? That's it. Yeah, well, listen, I, lo- I like to think that even though I probably drove them mad, that they both picked me, they both played me. So although, you know, I, I had I had many a fault as a, a, as a player and a person, they knew that on a Saturday I'd give them everything I'd got and I'd, I'd always try 100%. So... I think people will forgive that if they know that you're going to work as hard as you can for them. In 2002, you made your debut for Scotland against Canada. What was it like to get called up and play for your country? Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, you know, again, I was I was in my 30s, so that came really late. There'd been rumours for the previous 10 years that I was going to get a call-up because I was in my first ballot blues at Sheffield. I was playing really well, uh, but it never, never quite happened, unfortunately. Mick McCarthy wanted me to play for the Republic of Ireland, but they changed the rules. 
so you couldn't go back as far as your great grandparents, which you used to be able to. So I couldn't play for them. So yeah, it, it was brilliant. Um, and I, I mean, how's this for a coincidence? My dad actually knew I was going to get called up before I did because we were playing Newcastle uh, on a Saturday at Birmingham, and the scout who Scotland sent down to watch me uh, was a man called Archie Knox. And in a stadium of twenty-eight thousand, Archie Knox was sat directly in front of my dad. So my dad heard him on the phone. I mean, how's this for a coincidence? My dad heard him on the phone talking. So he knew they were going to call me up. So that was on the Saturday. On the Monday, I got a phone call from, you know, German football legend Bertie Volks, World Cup winner, European Championship winner, who was manager of Scotland at the time, and asked me if I'd be interested in playing. And, I, you know, obviously I, I jumped at the chance. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I think it was the qualifiers for... Euro 2004 in Portugal. I was involved in that campaign uh, and made my debut at Easter Road, which is Hibernian's ground against Canada. So yeah, it was you know it, it came late on in my career. It was a you know something I'm really proud of, and you know I ended up with with ten caps. So yeah, it was, it was a brilliant thing to do. What was what was the highlight of your Scotland career? Um. I mean, we, I mean, to be fair, as a team, we struggled at the time. But uh, the, the game that sticks out in my mind is is a qualifying game we played at Hamden uh, against Germany. Obviously, Germany are you know historically been a top top international team, uh, and they had some great players. You know, Michael Ballack, Philip Lahm, uh, people like that playing that on that day. And um, full house at Hamden, I think it was about fifty five thousand electric atmosphere. And we scored, we went 1-0 up, Kenny Miller, and we, we nearly won the game, but unfortunately they got back in and, and drew 1-1. So, yeah, that was that was probably the standout game that sticks out in my memory, drawing with Germany at Hamden. But, you know, I was lucky played against, you know, obviously Luis Figo, Portugal, played against Holland. But, yeah, that 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 Germany game is a standout game that, that I remember. Okay. We're just going to take a small break from asking you questions about your career to play okay. a would you rather game all pro okay. this is this, this is child friendly obviously <laughs> you ready yes go 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 night in or night out it, if you'd have asked me 20 years ago it would have been night out now it's night in okay beach holiday or city break beach holiday mm. would you rather talk to animals or speak every language Talk to animals. Would you rather explore space or explore the bottom of the ocean? I mean, not it doesn't make much difference. Neither of them have oxygen. Ocean. See what's down there. Mm. At least you'll be on the same planet. Yes, yes, yes. Ocean. <laughs> final, final. Would you rather question? Would you rather go forward two hundred years and see your future family, or go back two hundred years and meet your family, meet your ancestors? Back two hundred years and meet my ancestors. Okay. You joined then Watford. Did it feel any different leaving Birmingham the second time round? On why Watford? Yeah, um, obviously there was a lot of new players coming in because when I went back to Birmingham, we got promoted. We, we stayed in the Premier League. So obviously Steve Bruce was bringing in more players. I wasn't playing as regular uh, as I wanted to. You know, I think I was 31, 32 at the time. Um, West Ham came in for me uh, and Watford, but West Ham wanted to take me initially on the loan and then saw me permanently. Uh, the club didn't want want to do that. They wanted, if somebody was going to take me, to, to buy me outright. Uh, and Watford did that. It was Ray Lewington, was manager. Fantastic bloke, Ray. Uh, went on to have a, 
great career. You know, worked a lot with Roy Hodgson with England and now with Crystal Palace. Uh, and yeah, they were struggling at the time. So um, I signed a three-year contract for Watford. Went down there. They were at the wrong end of the championship at the time, battling relegation. And we managed to stay up that season. And I ended up having three years down at Watford. And and like I said earlier on, I was it was quite an unusual position to be in that the club didn't actually fund my deal. It was it was you know the famous Elton John that paid the transfer fee and paid my wages. So I had three really enjoyable years down there. If I'm being really honest, Watford didn't see the best of me. I was probably a little bit too old at the time to do what I'd done the previous 10 years. So that was always a big regret that, you know, they never got to see the best version of me. But I went down there and had three really enjoyable years. I'm going to ask this question as though I'm ripping off a, band- a bandage, OK? OK. You then joined Warsaw and I've said it before that, you, that it didn't go very well and you, and you regretted it. Why was that? Yeah, um... I'd had my my only operation as a player was on my foot. I had a, a problem with a joint in my foot. So at that time, I was obviously 33. Yeah, I'd have been 33. I was in quite a lot of pain when I was training and playing. Uh, I was fortunate in the clubs that I'd been at. They were a good level, good standard. Um, facilities were great. Now, Walsh was a great little club. But at the time, we didn't have a training ground. We had, you know, the, it was just not a great time for the club and myself. And I went, I had I had offers to stay down south at uh, Gillingham and Milton Keynes Dons. Um, I wanted to get back to the Midlands because obviously I'm Birmingham based and Warsaw's five minutes down the road. So, yeah, I went there and I only, only played half a dozen games. I realised I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Uh, and I always I always said in my mind, I wouldn't just stay and take, take the money for the sake of taking money. If I wasn't enjoying it, I'd walk away. I had different business ventures going at the time outside of football, which which were quite exciting. So, yeah, I, you know, in hindsight, what I should have done was signed a three-year deal with Milton Keynes and, and, and played for them. Um, but I took, you know, I took the option at Warsaw. I let my heart rule my head and it, and it didn't work out. And the manager at the time, Kevin Broadhurst, who played for Birmingham City, was a, was a great friend of mine. Um, he runs the Birmingham City charity team and I still play for them. I just went to see Kevin. Uh, I said, Kevin, look, I'm, I'm not enjoying it. Um, rip my contract up. I don't want to be paid up. I, I just don't want to play anymore at this level uh, and just terminate my contract. And I still now wind him up because Kev's a big friend of mine and I keep saying to him, you finished my career, you did. You ended my career. And I have a laugh about it with him. But yeah, it was just a mistake. I let my heart rule my head and I, I came back to the Midlands. Birmingham are very really struggling at the moment. Ryan Rooney didn't last very long. What do you think of his appointment and what did it work? Yeah, it was unfortunate. I think we've got we've had new owners come in recently, uh, American owners who have done absolutely magnificently with the club. Uh, they've got us out the mess we were in. Um, they're doing stuff behind the scenes, putting different hospitality lounges in. They've got the stadium work finished. Um, they've backed you know they've backed the manager with money. Uh, they wanted a big name in, uh, and obviously there's no bigger name than Wayne Rooney. Now, unfortunately for Wayne, he was coming in uh, after John Eustace. John Eustace was an extremely extremely popular figure at Birmingham and, and had done really well with the team. So the, the the supporters, the fan base, they weren't happy that John had gone. They weren't happy with Wayne coming in. Wayne wanted to play a certain way, which with the squad of players we've got at the moment, we can't play that way. And, and ultimately, you know, two wins out of 15, the results just weren't good enough. You know, Wayne's, you know, Wayne's been in the game long enough to know that 
that sort of record's going to bring scrutiny on him. Yeah, you know, he'll probably turn around and say he wasn't given enough time to turn it round. But then if you look at the results, you can't keep letting those sort of results go on. So it was just just really unfortunate. You know, probably wrong place, wrong time for, for Wayne Rooney. Obviously, we've got Tony Mowbray in charge now, who's got, got a really good track record at that level. Done really well getting Blackburn out of the championship, getting West Bromwich Albion out of the championship. Uh, I spoke to some people that know Tony and they speak very highly of him. Obviously, his first couple of games have been a draw and a win. So, uh, yeah, hopefully now that, that's just a little blip uh, and the club continues going in the direction I'm sure it will be, which is onwards and upwards. OK, every week on our podcast, we like our guests to ask questions to each other. Right. So we get to get guests to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question's going to be for. And our previous guest was Warsaw, Warsaw footballer Danny Johnson. And he asked, asks, what was your favourite cheat meal? Uh, curry. Love curries, Indian curries. Uh, I was actually uh, a partner in an Indian restaurant at one time. So, yeah, it would. I like curries and I like them hot. I like them hot so they make your eyes water, your nose run, your sweat, vindaloos, madrasses, stuff like that. So, yeah, it would definitely... I mean, for not hallucinate, OK? I love them. I love them, honestly. The hotter, the better for me. So, yeah, it would definitely be an Indian curry. OK. Could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question to ask that next guest? Please. Yes. We are, going to, we are going to tell you who the guest is. The question can be anything you want. Yep, anything. Yeah. Doesn't even have to do have anything to do with sport. Okay. It can be random. Who is the worst dressed person you ever worked with? <laughs> well, that'll be fun. Well, that's a question. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. I would lo- just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave leave reviews and pass our podcast on to our friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Paul, we really enjoyed being able to speak with you, and it means so much to us as a podcast to and a school to be able to be able to speak with you. Thank you, thank you. No problem, my pleasure. This week we ha- we have received a, a question from Gareth, who is from Florida, and he asks, "I love the podcast and what you're doing for autism, but I want to know what the best thing about be- what is the best thing about being autistic." Well, for well. I think the best thing about being autistic is the fact that we tend to be able to think about things differently, meaning some people might see see a single solution for a simple for a problem. However, we might find multiple solutions for the same problem that, that work just as well as one you think of. So like um, I'll give you an example, but I'm racking my brain. I'm not finding any. <laughs> well, for everyone, we have someone new here today. This is Riley. This is his first episode. So I re- so please be nice about him in the comments. So what did you think of your first first time? You know, it's, it's all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I give it a five out of ten. I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. No, I did enjoy it. You enjoyed it. So what did you enjoy about it, Riley? Well, probably everything, yeah. Everything, yeah. And I enjoyed everything, yeah. Did you enjoy listening to the stories that Paul, oh, definitely, Paul gave us? Definitely, definitely. So five out of ten then. So what could you improve or what would happen to make it a uh, ten out of ten? Well, 
Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> no. What? Five out of ten. <laughs> Podcast, uh, so yeah, your first podcast, Riley, and it was. Maybe the other five involved his nurse got the American once. And Riley, your first podcast, you did amazingly well. Yeah, it's um, it is very difficult doing a podcast, and as Alyssa would say, it takes a bit of time to get some experience yeah, and, um, and confidence. Let's just say I barely had any questions to ask because my nerves, yeah. I stutter like crazy. I don't get nervous that much, honestly, but if it's something new. And I don't know what it is. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Well, you both did brilliant, Riley. It's great to have you on on the team. Yeah. Welcome Fantastic. aboard. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, Hope you're ready for a bunch of laughs. Oh, uh, this is gonna be quite <laughs> Yeah, we do all sorts of silly stuff. Like at last, our last last podcast last season, we wrapped a football in wrapping paper. We did, didn't we? As in, we didn't even put it in a box first. We generally wrapped a wrapping <laughs> paper, a round object. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. And we will see you all next week. Yeah. Bye. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.